0: This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Now, I think we all agree that the Knicks are not just one player away. And that's maybe the dangerous nature of this whole thing when you're talking about being so heavily invested in one player. And when you're hearing some of these dollar figures like four-year deal in excess of $100 million with a team that really isn't necessarily blessed with cap space to begin with, you know, is this the right move? Is this the way that the organization should go? Because Brunson's a nice complimentary piece, but he's not going to be your number one guy. He's not going to be the focal part of your offense, at least not in my opinion. New York, we here. But where are we? Right? Like, if this happens, okay, then what? And you have little flexibility to continue to turn things around and turn things over to continue to add to this group. And that's what concerns me a little bit. Like, is this really an investment that's worth making that is going to pay immediate dividends like in the standings? Is this team going to go from suddenly out of the playoffs to getting closer back into that top four in the Eastern Conference? I don't think you could say that with just this one move. I mean, look at this Eastern Conference right now. Think about how it stacks up. And you could name a whole bunch of teams. And, and and you think the Knicks are better than them all? Probably not. Now, it would be a totally different story if you're going to sit here and tell me that Julius Randle is going to morph back into the guy that we saw two years ago when he was an all-NBA player. And he was indeed the number one guy on this team. And he loved being here. And the fans loved him. And the MVP chance. I mean, if you're going to tell me that you get that Randle again, plus an ascending R.J. Barrett plus a Jalen Brunson who's going to pick up right where he left off in the postseason last year with the Dallas Mavericks. All right, then you got me. Bing bong. <laughs> then, you, then there might be some bing bongs. Then there might be some fun nights at the Garden. We might even be talking about, hey, making the playoffs again, maybe even winning a round. I mean, the possibilities are endless. But if you've been a fan of this team for as long as I'm sure a lot of you have, are you all that confident that that's exactly how it's going to go down? I'm not. And we might as well throw this out there, too, as long as we're having the conversation because, you know, got some time to spare. When, oh, when, oh, when, oh, when. Even if this one seems like it's in the bag, right? This one seems like it's an almost certainty. If I could borrow a football analogy, you know, they've got first and goal at the five-yard line and it would really take something monumental to screw it up, but Given the tortured history of this fan base, can you really, like, have your head hit the pillow at night and think to yourself that this is a guarantee, it's a lock, that it's going to happen? Like, don't, don't you just wait still for that other shoe to drop? I'm not going to be satisfied until I see pen to paper. Until I see Woj tweeted out, or Shams tweeted out, or somebody telling me that, hey, you know what, Nick's got Jalen Brunson. Until I see him at Madison Square Garden, or up in Westchester at the training facility, holding up the Brunson jersey. And I see Tom Thibodeau on one side and, you know, maybe Leon Rose on the other side. His dad's probably up there on the dais as well. Then you know that it's happening. But until then, I'm going to proceed with caution. so I don't want to be disappointed. You? And maybe, like I said, it's not like you're getting, you know, you're not getting Kawhi Leonard. You're not getting the franchise player. You're not getting a difference maker. Thank God we don't have to entertain ourselves with the Kyrie Irving nonsense anymore. But as far as the Knicks are concerned, we'll get to that though a little bit later on. But, you know, Jalen Brunson's a nice player, good player. Is he a great player? Not yet. Will he become a great player if he signs with the Knicks? We'll see. And that could alter the future, no doubt. But it's got to happen first. It's got to happen first. Let's see what you guys think. 800 919 3776. John and Freehold got a bat lead off for us tonight here on 98.7. Johnny, how are you? How are we doing, Dan? What's up, John? How's things? Well, I'm hoping
1: there's no pen going to paper. That's, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Uh, uh, you know what? This is Tim Hardaway Jr. and Jerome James all over again. It really is. I mean, you're going to. Oh, now there's reports out there, Dan that uh, it, the deal could be an upwards of $110 million. It keeps going up by the hour. It, it's it's amazing. This guy, you you said it, this guy is not a difference maker. He's not an impact player. He's not moving the needle the way that this team needs the, move, the needle to be moved. They need more than one player. They're talent-deprived, Dan. That's the problem with this roster. You have the opportunity to go out and make a deal with San Antonio for the, the Monte Murray. The guy's a much better player. He's a well-rounded, proven all-star that's on the block. It's reported they want three first round picks. The Knicks now have the assets to make it happen. It comes down to a talent standpoint. Murray is so much more head and shoulders above Brunson in talent and impact for this for this basketball team, for this franchise. The guy's a six foot four, long and strong guard that is a big assist man, a big rebounder for a point guard. He's gotten better every single year. And you look at his contract situation right now, he's signed for two more years at a whole hell of a lot less more money than Jalen Brunson is. And he's proven a whole hell of a lot more than Jalen Brunson. He's a better defender as well. And uh, he's the impact player of the Knicks' need. You want, you want R.J. Barrett to take it to the next level? You want O.B. Toppin to take it to the next level? You want Grimes to get better? You know, you you got got to get an elite point guard. Murray is just that. He's an elite proven point guard, an all-star. That's not the case with Brunson. I worry about guys coming off a career year having a good, you know, elevated level in the playoffs in in their contract year. How many times have we seen this before? And I said, like like I said with the Knicks, we Mm -hmm. saw this with Jerome James coming off a career year and elevated his game during the playoffs and got big money. It was a total bomb, a total stiff. And they brought Tim Hardaway Jr. back for big money, part two. That was Steve Mills' great moves in the offseason over one summer. And, and that was an unmitigated disaster. And then, and then when it doesn't work, Dan, what are you going to do? How are you going to get this guy out of here? You know how you're going to get him out of here? You're going to give up all the assets you've been acquiring to dump him on somebody else. That's the only way you're going to be able to get rid of him because that contract is going to be erroneous. And it's not going to match what he's putting out on the floor. I, I John, mean, here's the make
0: thing. It John, here's the thing. And I thank you for the call, my friend, as always. Um, he, here's the thing. And I know, you know, DeJounte Murray's name has come up a lot, too. We talked about him last week, you know, as a potential option. Um, you know what DeJounte Murray's coming off of, though? Career year. Career year. Made the all-star team, yeah, but coming off of a career year. You know, we had never seen this up until this past season. And I don't even know if, you know, like the term elite. I don't know if DeJounte Murray's elite, an elite point guard. Because say what you want. You know, the other thing you always want with your guys and when you're bringing in players that you think are going to be impactful and, and all that stuff, can you make the guys around you better? Can you make the guys on your team better? Can you get the best out of their talents and abilities just by your presence? Y'all never forget once upon a time, I mean, Jason Kidd, when he got traded over here to the New Jersey Nets, made everybody better, right? Immediately transformed the culture, the franchise, everything. And that's when they went to -to back-to-back finals. You know, he's playing at an MVP level. That's what you're looking for. I don't think DeJounte Murray's that guy, because by the way, you know, say this about Murray, how many guys were he making better in San Antonio? I know San Antonio wasn't a deeply talented team. You know, they've had quite the drop-off from being dominant for the last 20 years. Or 20 years, you know, prior to the last couple of seasons. But he didn't make guys better. He wasn't elevating the level of play. I mean, the Spurs were a horrible team last year. Horrible team. And, you know, DeJounte Murray's track record of the postseason ain't all that great. I mean, he only had a couple of years and, you know, a handful of games. But never... Never anything like that we saw from Jalen Brunson last year. So I don't know if that's the fit. Now, contractually, like John was saying, he's right. He's right. Making some good money for the next couple of years. Murray is 16 and change next year, 17 and change the following year. So you have a controllable player. But how do you know the player is going to be satisfied with that? Because you know these guys nowadays. They could wake up one morning, tell the agent, you know, what? I see that guy making X amount of money. Why aren't I making that? And then they're going to demand a new contract, and they want to be traded, and so on and so forth, and then that could also upset the apple cart. That's just the way the NBA works. That's how sports works. But in this case, we're talking about the NBA. So I don't even know if Murray's the right guy. You know, Colin Sexton, another name people are throwing out there. I mean, he's coming off of an injury. You know, can we see Colin Sexton? Back in the fold, playing basketball at a high level, you know, coming off of an injury that caused him to miss almost the whole darn season. How do we know if that hasn't zapped him of some of his game? You know, forget about Malcolm Brogdon. That is not the area you want to go. No way, no how. It's going to be Brunson. That's the guy that the Knicks have their eyes set on. That's the guy that they've had their eyes set on for quite some time. So, unfortunately, you're going to have to live with him being here. And you hope that he produces. You hope he produces at the same clip that he did when he was in there, when Luka Doncic wasn't, and all of a sudden he put that team on his shoulders. But is it a perfect fit? Absolutely not. No, I'm look, I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you that it is. Because that would be wrong. It would be irresponsible of me. You know, I have a duty, I have an obligation to sit here and tell you the way it is. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. It's not what it's all about. You know, you're investing your time, you're investing your listenership, and you want to hear reality, the way it's supposed to be. I'll, you want reality? I'll give you reality. He was playing with the Dallas Mavericks. He had a few, I would say, good to better than good three-point shooters that were on the court with him, and they were able to space the floor. Is that happening here? You got guys on this roster right now that could shoot the three ball as good as some of the ones that he had out there in Dallas that made life a little bit easier, created some driving lanes and so on and so forth. I don't see it right now. Which could also affect one's game. Ernest in Brooklyn, he's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Ernest, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. Um, Big fan. Been listening to your show a long
2: time. Um, Only thing I want to say is your last two callers, they have they made very valid points. They're absolutely right. The problem I'm a Nets fan, mind mm-hmm. you, but the problem with the Knicks is they don't know how to pick players to blend with the talent they have. Right now they need a point guard, whether it's uh Branson or that other guy, they need a point guard. Um What's up? Barrett can't get his own shot, and neither can Randall, really. They need one of those two point guards to get them the ball in their spots so they could be effective. They can't do it by themselves. You, they need a point guard. You know, it's so funny that all the stars on some of these championship teams ex-Knicks, why is it that they couldn't figure out what to do on the Knicks and then they went somewhere else and they became great players? There's so many, it's endless the number of people, ex-Knicks, that went to another team and wound up contributing greatly. But they couldn't do it on the Knicks.
0: That's all, I'm I'm out. Ernest, I can't sit here and disagree with you. And I thank you for the phone call. I I, I really can't. I'd love to be able to sit here and tell you you're wrong and tell you that you're just a Nets fan that wants to stick it to the Knicks, which I'm sure you did a little bit. I, I, I sensed a little bit of that. And by the way, the Nets got their own problems. I mean, the last thing the Net fans should be doing tonight is sitting here, you know, pounding his chest that, you know, they're the perfect place and they, you know, they got their house in order and everything just because Kyrie decides that he wants to come back. We'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But everything that I just got done saying a little while ago about this move, you know what, time is going to tell if we're going to be proved different. Right now, he's the flashy name. He's the girl with the curl, all those things. Because he's available. Because you can have him. Because he wants to be here, believe it or not. You know, and there are ties. There are connections. And I know that that hasn't been a popular thing and a common thing where people want to play for the Knicks. They want to sign here. They want to play for this franchise. That's just the way it's been. And what happens, so let, 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 let's, right, we can all dream for a little bit. Like, let's let's just imagine one day that all of a sudden, Jalen Brunson comes in here, and he plays exactly like he did in the playoffs last year, which, by the way, is going to be something different that he's going to have to get used to as well because he's not going to have Luka Doncic on the court next to him, which means that teams that were gearing up to stop Luka and maybe Jalen Brunson was then able to have some extra maneuverability and some real estate to get shots, to get open looks, and those type of things, that's going to change a little bit now. Especially if you get wishy-washy Julius Randle again. Like the guy who acts like he doesn't want to be here. Guy that actually doesn't want to be bothered. And maybe if R.J. Barrett's having an off night or if teams really aren't going to sit there and put a heck of a lot of stock and faith into R.J. Barrett, launching some from downtown, and then they're going to key on Jalen Brunson. How is he going to react to being either the guy or like the guy 1A, if you want to call it that? These are all things that we're going to have to find out. And I understand you're making a heavy financial commitment to do so. 110 million, if those are the numbers we're throwing around there. I mean, that's not cheap. I get it. It's not my money. It's not your money. But for a team right now that is deprived of cap space and are going to have to move heaven and earth to make sure that they can just get enough room to fit him in, this has got to be a home run. There's no wiggle room here. He has got to be a perfect fit to where when you're putting together the posters and the pamphlets and the, hey, come buy tickets, Knicks on MSG, Knicks on 98.7, all these things, it's got to be like the big three. Randall, Barrett, Brunson with no doubts and no conditions. But how many Knicks fans right now, as you and I are talking and having this conversation, feel that that could be a 100% likelihood? I'm sure there's skepticism. Eight hundred nine one nine is the telephone number. We'll continue the Knicks talk when we come back. Yes, right now things at least appear to be calm in Netsland, but how long will that last? John and Maplewood up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Johnny, how are you?
1: Good, how are you? Enjoying What's up, John? Listen, uh, I want to talk about the Knicks. Uh, my, my first concern... And I'm in North Jersey here in Maplewood. You know, I can't I can't even watch my team because of the Comcast situation. But that's a, a different problem. I hope they work that out by next season. But um, you know, I'm not ready to. I'm I'm looking forward to watching this with Brunson, Barrett, and Randall. You know, I'm not ready to give up on Randall yet. Um, you know, obviously some issues, but let's see what happens. You know, if Brunson can be what he was, as you said, when uh, his best time in Dallas and RJ keeps uh, developing, um, you know, this, this is going to be at least fun to watch, I think. And with the young players that we got, um, add another piece maybe. And, you know, you know, Boston didn't have any superstars. So let's see what happens.
0: Well, I mean, Jason Tatum is a, a, you know, I don't know if you want to call him a superstar yet. He's pretty damn good, John, and thanks for the phone call. You know, Jalen Brown's a very, very good player. I, I think Jason, Jason Tatum has elevated himself to superstar level. You get your team to the NBA Finals, you know, you're a superstar. You know, Jason Tatum's all NBA. Jason Tatum's got, you know, the Olympic gold medals, all that stuff. You know, he's, he's a superstar. But it takes more than just one if you really want to get to where you're trying to go. You know, I was thinking about it. If you're a Knicks fan right now, what do you have more faith in next year? Like, if I said to you, one of these two things will happen, R.J. Barrett continues his ascent to becoming a superstar? Like, I mean, he was playing at borderline all-star level last year, and now maybe this year he takes another step to, let's say, like, all-NBA level, right, to where maybe Julius Randle was a couple of years ago? Is that more likely to happen, or... Is Julius Randle more likely to revert back to the guy we saw two years ago when he was All-NBA? Like, what do you have more confidence in happening? I'll tell you, either one, though, would be great for the Knicks because if you get a better R.J. Barrett, that's a win. If you get Julius Randle back to being All-Star, All-NBA Julius Randle, that's a win as well. Now, I mean, if you get both of those things happening, then, I, I mean, you talk about an embarrassment of riches, but I'm just not confident that, They're both going to happen. Yes, guess me right now? I actually think the R.J. Barrett one might be more likely. I really and truly do. And not that I'm down on Julius Randle entirely. I'm not. You know, he's on the team. He's a big contributor. You expect him to be a big contributor. If this team is going to be ultimately successful, he has to be a big contributor. But I just still can't get that image out of my mind from what we saw last year. I can't. And I know a lot of you can't either. The disinterest, the indifference, the sulking, just the orneriness of being out there. You know, you're supposed to be a team leader. That's not going to fly. And you know what? In this city, that stuff might work in Sacramento. That stuff might work in Memphis. That stuff might work in a lot of places around the NBA. Not in this city. People are way too smart, way too perceptive. And they picked up on that fast. And so if the team ain't winning and your production is going to go down and that stuff is going to come out, well, then you're going to hear about it. And that was essentially all his season morphed into last year. It was probably a basketball hell for him. But it doesn't have to stay that way, and it could change. Tariq and Yonkers up next here on 98.7. Tariq, what's going on? Hey, Dan. How's it going? Tariq, talk to me. How's things? Um,
1: A couple of points. The Brooklyn fan who caught earlier, who repeated three and four times over point guard, point guard, point guard. It's the reason why we're trying to fix that situation going for Brunson to begin with. Duh. Number two is all these fans calling in talking about former Nick regimens, why are we blaming Leon Rose that he just got here? The only mistake I say Leon Rose has made is Evan Fournier and Kimber, and he's trying to clean that up. We're team-friendly deals at that. We came from hell. We're still coming from hell. I'm very optimistic about the future. I love our kids. I just think all of us Nick fans need to be patient, relax a little bit, and stop throwing out all his names. No Brunson is not, no Jason Kidd is a superstar. But he is a quality point guard. And there was times that Luca was hurt for almost a month last year, but he carried the Dallas Mavericks. Literally.
0: Well aware of that. It wasn't just- well aware of that. But you know you know what it is though, Tariq? And and I thank you for the phone call. Like you said, you know, Nick fans have been through hell. They also got a uh, they also got a taste, though, a couple of years ago. And that's why I think that attitude presents itself now because they had a bite of the apple with that four seed and a run to the playoffs and maybe they thought that they were on the road to bigger and better like permanently and then you had the step back this past year you had almost like the reality check this past year and I don't think they want to have to deal with that again right they thought they were on their way a couple of years ago Hey, we made the playoffs. Hey, we got home court advantage in the first round. Next year, forget about the four seed. We're going to be minimum the four seed. And then all of a sudden, we could be the three seed. They just expected to pick up right where they left off. And that's not the way sports works. Right? Like, there's no guarantee you're going to miss the playoffs this upcoming season. Like, you hope that there's going to be improvement. But you just don't get to pick up right where you left off from one season to the next. That's the challenge. That's the thrill, right? That's why team building is so of great importance, that you have something sustainable, that you're not creating something that's like a flash in the pan that's only going to present results for one year, and then you're back to square one when it's all over and it doesn't work. That's what you don't want to have happen. You want to eliminate the fluky run if possible. And right now, what happened a couple of years ago, it feels like a fluky run, does it not? Because we don't have any evidence right now to think that it is sustainable what this team has currently. And that what they've built is something that will lead to bigger and better for years to come. You hope it does, but they're still very early on in the process. You know, Tariq mentioned the Kemba Walker sign. I mean, you knew that that wasn't going to work out. That was a nostalgia trip more than anything else. And they were able to cut their losses one year into it, fine. I know they had to attach a first-round pick to get rid of that contract. I don't care. I really and truly don't care. To me, it's addition by subtraction. Not that Kemba was a bad guy and that he was like a cancer and you wanted to remove him from the locker room or anything. No, none of that. Nothing. This is nothing on Kemba specifically. What it is is it just was a reminder of how much of a swing and miss that was, and you couldn't have it lingering around. You go and you buy a used car, and it doesn't work very well, but you sign, like, a two-year lease. And if all you're doing in that first year is it's back in the shop, back in the shop, you're having it worked on, guess what? You're going to find a way to get rid of that thing even before the lease expires because it's like a constant reminder of how much money you're having to spend at the mechanic. And maybe you got to kick in a little more for somebody to take it off your hands. So be it. Talking basketball, talking Knicks, talking free agency, Brunson, all those things. How this Knicks club could look once the season rolls around coming up in October. As far as the Nets are concerned, I'm sure everybody's heard the news that Kyrie is back. He's opting in. Taking the $36 million and change. After some common sense finally, you know, entered that noggin of his. And when you compare it up against the $6 million mid-level exception from the Los Angeles Lakers that he could have signed with, I mean, when you weigh that versus the money that his opt-in would trigger, it really does not take a rocket scientist to be able to figure out why he went ahead and did this. The only thing that surprises me, I'm just shocked that he didn't drag it out until Wednesday when the deadline was to pick up the option. I thought, that, I, I thought that we would still be sitting here tonight legitimately debating what he was going to do and what the fallout would be and, and, and would there be a divorce between Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets. But it didn't happen. And what he's going to try to do is he's going to try to cash in next summer. Um, and good job by the Nets. Really, good job by the Nets because it's a rarity nowadays that a franchise does not cower down to the star player and allow him to call the shots. So, really, I, I applaud the Brooklyn Nets. Joe Sy, Sean Marks, all you guys. You tried to take a stand with him early in the season last year about he's not going to be a part-time player because he didn't want to get vaccinated. You stay out of sight, you stay out of mind until things change, but that only lasted so long. And then they had to backpedal off of that, and they welcome back the part-time player because they realized they needed to win some games. And that's why they brought Kyrie back on board. But now they're saying, well, you know what? We've already seen enough. We know how this story is going to end. We'll bring you back on a short-term deal. You can come back. You can play ball for us. Prove that maybe you got your priorities in order and that you want to be a contributing member to this team. Otherwise, you're not getting a long-term deal. And that was smart business by the Brooklyn Nets. Because bottom line, like, you know, we'll get into all the ins and the outs and the whys and the why-nots. I've been saying this for I can't remember how long. But the reality is when it comes to Kyrie Irving, The dude does not have basketball as number one on his priority list. He doesn't. Kevin Durant does. You can tell how much winning means to Kevin Durant. And how he sacrifices for the game for his team. Kyrie Irving, I I honestly don't think he cares one way or the other. I really and truly don't. And like I said, where is basketball on the priority scale? Who's more worried about doing so many other things than trying to make the Brooklyn Nets a winner? Because look, you don't got to be a genius. Since he put pen to paper a few summers ago and signed up with Kevin Durant and tried to commit to bring a winner to Brooklyn, this team hasn't won. What? They've won one playoff series, and Kyrie's missed how many games? And it's always something. It's not just the COVID. It's not just the pandemic. It's, it's it's everything. Right, The guy wakes up one morning and, really, and just feels, I don't want to play basketball today, or this week, or next week, and then he disappears. And then the Nets are left there wondering, okay, are we going to have this guy or not? Kevin Durant, don't tell you deep down what he's thinking. I mean, I know he went on that podcast stuff last week when we were playing the cuts, but I mean, that's not really exactly what he really feels. It can't be. You know that he's having some conversations with the people closest to him about, you know what, this, this Kyrie thing ain't going to work out. And you've already seen the rumors that have been circulating over the last week when the Kyrie thing was still up in the air, and KD was maybe just maybe thinking about his options moving forward. And maybe he wasn't going to be as loyal to the Brooklyn Nets, which I think would have been hilarious, but, you know, neither here nor there. Because it's one thing to say you need help, and you want to play with good players, and you hope that you get guys that, are as invested in the team and winning and at their craft as you are. But there's more to it than just talent. There's more to it than you know what a guy could do just on a one-on-one skill level. There are other factors. And those are the factors that Kyrie has not brought to this franchise. And so the Nets are stuck with this guy at least for one more year. And I think the question we ask ourselves is, is he even going to make the full season in Brooklyn? And think about Kevin Durant, right? He left a dynasty with the Golden State Warriors, a dynasty as good and as stable a situation that really checks every single box that you could possibly want checked when you're talking about being an NBA player, right? Checks every single box. Winning, most important thing. Money, money's a good paying job out there. All right, maybe you don't see eye to eye with a couple of the teammates, whatever, fine, but treat you like a king. You're revered. And yet he wanted to take his talents elsewhere. And he wanted to join forces with Kyrie Irving, of all people. I mean, I understand, like, not doing your homework necessarily and maybe not thoroughly investigating a situation or vetting a player or a person and whatnot, but how much work did KD do? He just knew him from the guy that, you know, they played against each other in the NBA all those years. He's like, oh, yeah, I can play with this guy. He's, you know, he's got a good handle and all those things. Good player. Helped LeBron win a championship. I could probably win a championship with him. That's fizzled out. James Harden passed through here, and now he's gone. That fizzled out. And, oh, by the way, you still got Ben Simmons who we haven't seen on a basketball court in an actual playing sense, not practice, not ramping it up, or whatever goofy term they used to describe whatever the heck he was doing after they acquired him, we haven't seen him in a game that actually mattered and counted for well over a year. And we don't know when we're going to see him in a game again. Because as goofy as the whole situation with Kyrie is, do you really think that you have a handle on what Ben Simmons is going to do once training camp rolls around and what Ben Simmons is going to do when the regular season begins? Because I don't. And really, do you think that anybody in that organization, like the chief decision makers, like Sean Marks, he could say all he wants, what they hope and what they want, but does he really know what Ben Simmons is going to do in a couple of months when the season starts? I don't care that you got him under contract. Is he going to play for you? Is he going to be committed to this team? Is he actually going to help you win games? And when I say win games, I mean a championship. Because isn't what that's all about for this Nets team? It was championship or bust? All the hoopla, KD, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, chasing rings, where Brooklyn at, all those things, that hasn't happened yet. Not at all. But I admire what the Nets are doing. I I, I really and truly do. I appreciate what they're doing. And I appreciate what they're doing because they've turned into one of the biggest soap operas probably in all sports certainly in the NBA, and I still don't think at the end of the day that Kyrie wants to even be here. I don't think he wants to be a Brooklyn Nets. Enough with the stories about how he grew up a Nets fan. I mean, I, if I got to hear that thing one more time, I mean, stop. Stop, stop, stop. The guy's sitting there knocking on every door in the NBA to see if they'll have him and whereas there's only a couple that even have cap space that would even entertain the idea, and then the team that was possibly interested, or at least a player over there, and I'm talking about the Lakers, who has a relationship with Kyrie, and the only thing they'd be able to pay him is like six million bucks. He didn't want to take less money. That's the only reason he's still in Brooklyn. If he's sitting there calling LeBron James and exploring ways to play with him again in Los Angeles, and by the way, the same LeBron James that he did not want to play with anymore in Cleveland once upon a time, I mean, how can you keep playing these games? And people even actually still take you seriously. So how do you think if you're Kevin Durant and you see how the last week or so has played itself out? Him sitting there trying to hit up all these other teams and all these other guys trying to find a new home, and meantime, Durant's sitting there like, well... I just signed the new four-year max extension. I I, I thought that, you know, we were going to play together, but I guess not. But I guess not. Guy's made a ton of money from the Brooklyn Nets for the last three years, and he's done nothing. And why would the Nets ever think about giving this guy a long-term contract that he wants? They'd be fools to do so. Absolute fools. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven. Seven six. That is the telephone number. But Kyrie wasn't the only, uh, the Lakers weren't the only team that Kyrie maybe crossed paths with. So the only individuals. Now Kyrie's getting into a little beef with our buddy Stephen A. Have you seen that? We'll try to give you the blow-by-blow blow and recap how that thing all went down. Now back to Dan Grassa on 98.7 ESPN. The other thing, too, like, I know I kind of made this point a little while ago, but imagine, like, imagine you're Kevin Durant, right? You're one of, what, 15 or 20 best in the world ever to do what you do? Ever. That's a pretty lofty claim to make, but I think it's accurate because he's a pretty darn good, talented player. And not just Kevin Durant, but the other guys in that room, and I know that none of them certainly have the ability and the star power that Kevin Durant does, and I'm talking about Brooklyn, the guys in that front office in the organization. How do you feel when you see a guy who's supposed to be one of the best players on your team, I'm not going to use the word leader because he ain't no leader. That's that that's insulting to anybody who's ever tried to lead at anything in their life. Anything. But if you're supposed to be one of the marquee players on your team, how did you like it when you saw the guy knocking on doors out in L.A., trying to get in with the Lakers, and oh, by the way, knowing that if he were to go to L.A., and play with the Lakers, that it was only going to be for like six million bucks, which is 30 million dollars cheaper than what he would have earned opting in back with the nets, so it wasn't even a money decision. Like if you sat there and watched one of your guys like think about getting another job and he's like, "Oh well I, I can't blame him it's it, you know it's, it's better for his family, it's better for him, it's more money. It's 30 million dollars less. And you're going to welcome this guy back with open arms. And what was, the, what was the quote yesterday, the, the, the money quote, after the opt-in was uh, revealed? Those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. How does taking $30 million extra make you different? Makes you smart. It, it, it's common sense. I mean, who in their right mind wouldn't do that? I don't care if you hate Brooklyn. I don't care if you hate this place. I don't care if you hate Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons. 30 million dollars is 30 million dollars if Kyrie is this anti-hero and this you know want to save the world guy and all these things that he does and wants to be you know Mr. Peace and Mr. you know anti-establishment and everything then be anti-establishment and take six million dollars from the Lakers right go play for less show me that would actually show me a lot more I'd have a heck of a lot more respect for somebody who does something like that than takes the obvious out and takes the extra $30 bucks. But then if you're going to sit there and try to convince people otherwise that you're doing something different, oh, my goodness. I mean, come back to me. You think Sean Marks' job is easy? I mean, Steve, I, I don't want to lump Steve Nash into this because Steve Nash is like, I, you know, I don't, first of all, I don't even know how he got the job, number one. Number two, I don't even think he knows how much longer he's going to have the job or how much longer he even wants to have the job. I mean, Steve Nash and coach don't exactly go hand in hand. It's weird to look at a guy like Steve Nash and say that he's a, a, a placeholder or a seat warmer, but I kind of think that's how it is. Because if this whole Brooklyn thing combusts, And there's a better chance of this Brooklyn thing completely exploding than them actually, like, reaching the promised land and winning a championship. You mean to think that when that happens, Steve Nash is going to want to stick around and coach this team and coach a bunch of, you know, no-name teams or no-name players just rebuilding and so on and so forth? You know, that's going to win 17, 18 games and probably have the the, the top pick in the lottery? He's going to want to stay behind and spearhead that effort? I don't think so. No thanks. So then I'm sitting there this afternoon thinking about, all right, what are we going to do for the show, right? How are we going to get ready? What are we going to talk about? What are some of the things that we should hit on here with the show? And then I see our buddy Stephen A., who's on vacation this week, supposedly. And he's getting into it back and forth with Kyrie Irving on Twitter. Kyrie, I guess, threw the first punch, the first shot. And then Stephen A. responded, as he could do, well within his right. And I think he makes some valid points. But he put this video out earlier today on Twitter. This was Stephen A. talking about Kyrie. Take a listen to this. Did you see it? I saw the news. I know you saw the news. Oh, Kyrie Irving,
3: you opted in after all. Took that money, didn't you? One-year deal, y'all. One year. $36.9 $36.9 million, dollar exercises his player option. So what does that mean? To y'all it means Kyrie's going to be a Brooklyn Net. You know what it means to me? I guess he's a peon too, huh? So you got to go to work. You got to show up to work. You actually got to go to work. You got you to go up there and earn that money. You got to show up to work. Because even if you plan on leaving the Brooklyn Nets, because we all know that Kyrie doesn't plan on staying in Brooklyn for the full year. He's offended. He's appalled. He's put back by the fact that the Brooklyn Nets actually said you have to show up to earn your money. We know that offends him. We know that offends him. So you're thinking, hey, guess what? I'm going to get the hell up out of here. Philly somewhere, they willing to give me a three year guaranteed deal. The Clippers could get their hands on me. They want me. Maybe I could get to the Los Angeles Clippers. Who knows? Maybe somehow, some way, the Los Angeles Lakers will be able to work out a sign of trade. Guess what, Kyrie? No matter what options you may think you have down the road, it all starts with you
0: having to show up to work first. He's not wrong. Not wrong. Got to show up to work. So Kyrie tweets this out to Stephen A. He says, you're going to have to explain yourself to people in your generation. I'm not around many 50-plus-year-olds that speak and act like you do, so this is new for me. But I'm sure my father and my uncles can meet you on your level better than I can. We know you, Stephen. And then Stephen A replies, this is like he said, she said, oh, you've got it twisted, bro, big time. I don't have to explain a damn thing to anyone, especially you and your father. Your uncle Rod Strickland is another matter. I love that brother. Profoundly respect him. Always. As for you, when you have a level, let me know. Because I'm not aware you have one. Off the court. Either way, I have a wish. One day you'll stop hiding behind the public support you receive and fess up to the shenanigans you engage in. Leaving folks hanging like laundry. Be honest about what you've been truly doing. Until then, let's confront one another one-on-one for the world to see your truth up against mine in a public forum for everyone to judge. Name the time and place. I'll show up. I keep receipts, bro. Show up. You do know what that is, don't you? If you didn't know before, I know you know now. Now that you're after the the money you took for granted to be waiting for you. See you in the fall.
3: They're not very likable.
0: Isn't that what we've been saying here? for the last, I don't know how long, right? Played 103 games in three years with this team. A hundred and three games. He's missed more games than he's played. And how many of them were because of legitimate injury, right? Legitimate injury, uh, like hardly any. Hardly any. And you wonder why the Nets don't want to go down a long road with this guy any further? What an absolute mess. Seriously, I I don't even give it a full season. Don't even give it a full season. Playoffs roll around next year. If the Nets are even going to be a part of it, who knows? That team can combust from within when you have a situation like this. It's only a matter of time he's playing for another team because as we just saw, it's not necessarily all about the money if he was chasing that $6 million mid level exception with the Los Angeles Lakers, 800 919 3776. That is the telephone number. We come back. I got some takeaways from the weekend in the Bronx. I know everything is right in Yankee land right now and everything is great and everything is fine, but there were some things that came out of that Astros series that, you know, maybe, just maybe are worth thinking about. Big news in Metland today, apart from the game, was supposed to be Max Scherzer making his second rehab start for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Instead, that now is going to be tomorrow night. Up in Hartford. So, of course, when you see that, oh, wait a sec, why isn't he pitching today? Today was supposed to be the day. Something's got to be wrong, right? Like, why did they push him back a day? It's the Mets. Woe is me. It always rains on their parade. How come it's not working out? Well, Buck Showalter tried to minimize some of those fears earlier this afternoon.
3: We've sat down, talked about it. It's not going to affect the number of starts he might make if things go well tomorrow night, Between, so just give him an extra day. If you look at the history of this injury, he's right where he needs to be, and uh, everything will fall according to how he does that uh, tomorrow night. But pitching in a small ballpark, hitter's ballpark. I don't think we'll see. I was kidding today. He's ready to go. He thinks he could pitch here tonight, so hopefully it goes well. We're just trying to, you know, you look at the history of this injury and how long it normally lasts, he's right where he needs to be.
0: Forget about the history of the injury. It's about the history of the team. Like, like you, you're a Met fan. You always expect, you know, woe is me. What could go wrong? So when you see that about Scherzer, it's okay. Well, why isn't he pitching? But hopefully everything is on the up and up, and he'll be back in this rotation and on that Mounted City field here in the next week or so. And you know they could continue this path of hopefully holding off the Atlanta Braves and holding out to first ba- uh, first place in the National League East. Jeff McNeil back in the lineup tonight. Remember, he missed the previous five, dealing with a little bit of a hamstring issue. He's got himself a base hit. McNeil should be on the All-Star team. You know, when the rosters are announced in a couple of weeks, he really and truly should. He's having a fantastic year. He looks like the 2019 version of Jeff McNeil. You know, hit machine, the guy who was an All-Star that season. So hopefully he gets rewarded for it along with a couple of other players uh, on this baseball team for the first halves that they've had so far. Now, just like the Yankees, and I said that there were some things that concerned me from over the weekend, there were also some things, of course, with the Mets that leave you scratching your head a little bit. Number one, and I know that they ended up taking two out of three from the Marlins over the weekend. I get it. You know, they won the series all well and good. But the thing that stands out to you on Sunday's game that they ended up losing was that they couldn't get a hit to save their lives to drive in some more runs. They couldn't manufacture any offense. I mean, they were one for 13 with runners in scoring position. You know, they should have won that game easy going away on Sunday, but they could not get that big hit. And the same thing is happening here tonight so far. You know, as you and I are talking right now, they got two runners in scoring position, runners at second and third with two out, or with one out, and... Already Davis struck out. Now Escobar is up at the dish. And Escobar is another thing we got to get into here. You know, how much longer, if you're Buck Showalter, do you keep just writing his name in the lineup card and put him at third base? Now that McNeil is back, and you have somebody like Luis Giorme, who's played very well this year, hitting well as he's ever had. You know that he's as good a glove as you have on this team. You know, if Escobar's not pulling his weight offensively, and he worked out a walk there, okay, so he got the bases loaded with two outs. But Escobar's still batting, you know, 220. And he's struggling mightily at the dish. I mean, he's in a slump right now the last few weeks, which, I I mean, it's as bad as we've seen. And I know that everybody loves him, and I know that he hit for the cycle, and I know that he's a great clubhouse guy, and, you know, Buck talks highly of him, and that's great, really. It really is great, but... This team's trying to win a pennant this year. It's not about just getting guys at bats and getting guys experience and, you know, setting you up for the future and that sort of thing. No, it's about winning this year and going all in to try to do so. Steve Cohen didn't give Max Scherzer, you know, 40-something million dollars a year because he wants his team to be good in 2026. No, it's about winning a world championship this season. And if Escobar's not getting it done, well, you know what? There's other guys that can And they've been doing it a little bit more consistently. So I'm saying, you know what? Put McNeil at third base. Put Luis Guillorme at second. Keep both of their bats in the lineup if Escobar's not going to be hitting. And they signed him to a two-year deal, too. So it's like he's going anywhere. But that's what I think ultimately is going to have to be the course of outcome if you're the Mets if this continues. Because there's no free rides. None whatsoever. And Mark Canna just grounded out to end the inning. So the Mets again with a big offer with runners in scoring position. And he admired the way this team hit all season long, especially like in with runners in scoring position. They were like fourth in baseball coming into the week. But when you face good teams and you face good pitching, it's supposed to be more difficult. It's supposed to be more challenging. And especially if you get to October, you're going to be playing those good teams. And I like the approach of this team offensively, you know, putting the ball in play, making the other team catch the ball, make a play, make a throw. That's what you should do. Not living and dying by the home run ball and having to resort to like the, you know, the two true outcomes, as they say, the boom or bust mentality. But something's happened here of late. And you could say that it's just a funk or it's just a slump, but something's got to give. And, you know, talking about, The Carlos Carrasco situation, which, again, doesn't give you a heck of a lot of confidence, this bears watching. You know, Carrasco is officially on alert for the New York Mets. You know, you don't need guys with ERAs pushing five getting a start every five days. That's not the way this thing works and especially as you get later into the season and games become that much more important, and when DeGrom comes back and when Scherzer comes back, something's got to give here. Not saying that he's in any jeopardy of losing his rotation spot like today or tomorrow or anything like that. All I'm saying is that when you start to think big picture about what maybe your rotation's going to look like come playoff time, you know, if this guy is pitching to the effective level that he is right now or ineffective level, then what's the sense of having them around? It's got to earn your spot. But I do got to give credit to the front office, and I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, Mets went from a team that disappointed the last couple of seasons, and now all of a sudden they're in first place, and they look like one of the better clubs in baseball. Obviously, the leadership in the dugout goes a long way towards transforming that 100%. I think Buck Showalter is the most important acquisition the Mets made the entire offseason. But you also got to give some credit to the front office in the sense that, you know, they said goodbye to some guys that on the surface you don't necessarily think twice about. Say, ah, we won't miss them. And they replaced them with certainly some, some names that have a little bit of a track record, a little bit of a history. You know, I mentioned Escobar and Canna and guys like that and, yes, Scherzer. But I'm talking more offensively. Starling Marte. Starling Marte. Love. Love Starling Marte. But just the sorry state of affairs that were this team last year. You think about guys. There were a handful of guys on this ball club last year that played major, major roles, or at least they intended for them to play major, major roles. Jonathan VR played 142 games for them last year. Michael Conforto played 125 games. Kem Pilar played 124. Javi Baez only played 47, but they went out and got him at the trade deadline because they thought he would help lift them into the postseason and then maybe even continue this relationship with a new contract in the offseason. Dom Smith played 145 games for this team last year what's the point I'm getting at here well the point I'm getting at is that those names that I just trotted off there they're either nowhere to be found or not even playing a role really on this year's Mets team and not only that if they are on a different team they're not even doing anything for those new clubs either so really a good job by the front office to identify what, let's say, the fat was on the meat and trim that fat. And that's why you're seeing a better ball club, I think, this season. Jonathan VR just got designated for assignment by the Chicago Cubs. Signed over there. He was batting 220 this year. He had a minus 0.7 war. And this is a guy that got over 500 at-bats for the Mets last year. Michael Conforto went unsigned, but... He's also nursing a shoulder injury, but nobody picked him up before then. Ken Pilar is another guy. Played four games this year with the Dodgers. Didn't even make the club out of spring training. Had to start the season in the minor leagues. Javi Baez. See how Javi Baez is doing this year for the Tigers, who overpaid him in the offseason? Batten 220. He's got a 643 OPS. 0.8 0.8 war. Essentially, he's doing nothing. And Dom Smith, who, yeah, he's still a Met, but Dom just got back from the minor leagues. Dom spent some time down in A or up in Syracuse. And he still hasn't even hit a home run so far this season for the Mets. And he's got already 40 games under his belt, 570 OPS. So think about that. Those are five guys from last year's disappointing team. Tom Smith, Javi Baez, Pilar Conforto, and vr Guys who played major roles on this club last year. Not doing anything this season. And coincidentally enough, you see where the Mets are in the standings in first place and playing good baseball. I think the front office deserves some credit for that. I really and truly do. And I know it's easy. We spend our time knocking them and trying to identify what's wrong and what they aren't doing, for example. But... This one, they actually do deserve a pat on the back for it. But it's not their night out at City Field. Carrasco's night is done after four and a third, losing 5 nothing to the Houston Astros. Eight hundred nine one nine 919 is the telephone number. Did you see what happened this weekend with Freddie Freeman? I'm sure you caught wind of it. And not only that, if you see what happened or if you saw what happened down in Atlanta, the news that came out earlier this afternoon probably is not going to surprise a heck of a lot of you. Now back to Dan Grassa on 98.7 ESPN. Boy, that was a strange weekend down in Atlanta with the Dodgers and Braves with Freddie Freeman. You know, we were talking about it on Friday when – you know, the ceremonies and the the ring ceremony and the video tributes and the tears and the crying when all that stuff was unfolding. And, you know, it it struck me as odd then. And I understand his relationship to the franchise and what it meant and, you know, how long he was there. And obviously he didn't want to leave, but he did. But at some point you have to just be like enough is enough. And I I, I wondered, like the Dodger perspective, if – You see this guy who's now on your team, but it's painfully obvious to everybody who can see it that he wants to be back with the team he came from. So if you're a Dodger, when do you sit there and kind of like maybe just, you know, tap him on the shoulder and be like, hey, Fred, you you know what team you're playing for? Like, you know, no hard feelings. If you want to go back onto the other side, that's cool. You know, just, you know, have the front office work a few things out. But. Otherwise, you're actually going to get in line and try to help us win? Not to say that he hasn't been because the Dodgers are winning this year. They're in first place. But at what point do you, like, leave all that stuff aside and convince yourself that this is my sole focus and this is my priority and this is the team that I'm playing for right now? But it's obvious Freddie Freeman never wanted to leave the Atlanta Braves. And Clayton Kershaw actually, I I thought, you know, made a heck of a lot of sense in a comment that he gave to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. One of the writers over there got a hold of uh, Kersh down there, and I thought that it was a, a great quote, and I'm sure that it got—I'm it, surprised it didn't get any more play than it did. But Kershaw talking about Freddie Freeman's reception on Friday said it was very cool. He's obviously been a big contributor for our team, and I hope we're not second fiddle. It's a pretty special team over here, too. I think whenever he gets comfortable over here, he'll really enjoy it, which, you know, he's trying to be nice and trying to say, oh, yeah, you know, he's he's been great for us. He's helped us win. But on the flip side, you know, how about getting in line and enough with the tears? You know, you've had enough time to process this. You're getting paid a lot of money to play for this team. Right. How about trying to help us win a championship? That's what we're paying you to do. You know, Clayton Kershaw, the other guys in the Dodgers, they don't care that Freddie Freeman was a brave for however many years he was. They don't care about that stuff. More than anything, it's just, hey, you're a Dodger now. That's the name on the front of your jersey. Help us win. This was Freddie. He was asked if he has any regrets over the way things ended in Atlanta.
1: I think that the regret question is a whole different side of the story that I'm not I'm not here to talk about because I think one-on-one with people I've talked to that's a whole that's a that's a different side of it um, because if I got into that it'd be here a long time <laughs> and that emotion would change big time so I'm um, Uh, Help me stop crying a little bit. Thanks. (laughs) I think people that know me know a little bit about what happened a few months ago. So I'm just going to leave it at that.
0: All right. So that was over the weekend down there in Atlanta. Today, today, Freddie Freeman decided that, you know what? I'm going to blame the agents. He worked or he had Excel as uh, his group of agents. Casey Close, that was his guy. And he decided that they're the ones that should be blamed about how things kind of ended with the Atlanta Braves and how the negotiation went. And for those that didn't exactly know what went wrong and what happened, Chase and, um, no, I say Chasen Shreve again because he just gave up another mammoth home run to the Houston Astros. Jason Shreve is up there serving up batting practice, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, Atlanta offered five years, $140 million to Freddie Freeman. Five for 140 It's good money. And Freddie Freeman, by the way, in his career, okay, before this season, and I understand that, you know, everybody should look to make every last dollar that they can and everybody should get paid for, you know, what they feel they're worth and that sort of thing. I, I get all that stuff. But Freddie Freeman, before this season, had already earned $160.6 million in baseball salaries. That doesn't include endorsements and all this other stuff. $160 sixty plus million plus in his career. All right. If somebody puts five years and $140 million in front of you and it means that much to you to stay in one place and to stay in Atlanta and that's where you want to be, I don't see what the difficult decision was, right? If he felt that he was gypped and if he felt that maybe they were lowballing him with the offer, well, apparently he felt so because still he allowed his agent to go out there and take offers from other teams and talk to other teams. But Freddie Freeman was 32 years old, not going to play forever. The Braves are trying to be at least somewhat fiscally responsible while still making sure that they don't hamstring themselves with a salary that is going to look like an albatross in a couple of years if he's not producing. So Casey Close and the guys from Excel, they get an offer from the Dodgers, six years, $162 million. However, 57 of the 162 was in deferred money. And that's what Freddie Freeman ended up with, because why? After that five years, $140 million was presented to him by the Atlanta Braves. Apparently, there was some sort of a negotiating window that the Braves wanted a yes or a no answer from. And Freddie Freeman wasn't comfortable yet making the commitment. So while Freddie was still thinking about what he wanted to do, the Braves didn't waste any time. They picked up the phone, called up Billy Bean and the Oakland A's, traded for Matt Olsen, brought him over to be their new first baseman, and then paid him $160-something million in a long-term contract, making him the new first baseman for the team, essentially closing the door on Freddie Freeman. So Freddie blames his agents for how the whole thing went down. A couple of things there. Number one, did it take Freddie's trip down nostalgia lane this past weekend in Atlanta for him to realize that he screwed up and for him to realize that his agent screwed up and if that's the case the other thing here too is this hey Fred you've been at this a long time you've been playing the game forever right the agents work for you my friend the agents don't make you do anything you're the one calling the shots. You're the one that decides where you sign, when you sign, and what offer you take. It's not the agents. So now Freddie is essentially at a part in his career where I guess he's going to try to represent himself. Maybe he signed his last contract. Who knows? But if it really and truly meant that much to you, and you know what? You can relate this to your, your own lives. If you really and truly wanted to stay someplace And the place you were at that you called home, let's say, was offering a little less than another place, right? Still really, really good money, but maybe just comes in right below what you feel the market value is. You can't put a price on security, and you can't put a price on being comfortable. But I guess Freddie Freeman could because he didn't take the Atlanta offer. Or at least he had to think about it long enough to where he didn't just jump at it and the Braves acted, which they are clearly entitled to do. And the Braves are having a good season. Dodgers are having a good season. Matt Olson's getting paid. Freddie Freeman's getting paid. Everybody should be happy. But, like I said, maybe it was that trip to Atlanta that awakened something inside Freddie Freeman. But he's got nobody to blame but himself, to be quite honest with you. Should have just taken that $140 million offer. That's good money and add it to the pile of riches that he has already. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. (laughs)